0: Hi everybody, this is Dr. Michael Walden. Thank you so much for joining me to another edition of Ask the Blood Detective. For those of you new to the show, I practice in Westchester County, New York, which is located an hour north of New York City. And for those of you who want to consult with me, you can uh, either in person, uh, within which I provide the CDC guidelines in my office and only one person at a time, everyone wears masks six feet away, et cetera, et cetera, or on video chatting. And you can go to my website and inquire more about that at intmedny.com com or drmichaelwald.com. So today we're talking about parasites and we're talking about the novel coronavirus or viruses in general. My concern now is that people around you, uh, in fact, the entire world, as they should, are concerned about the novel coronavirus, but they may be forgetting about other illnesses and other uh, parasitic infections, that when exposed to the coronavirus can make their disease much worse. Let me say that again a little differently. If you have parasites in you now and you're exposed to the coronavirus, the combination of that comorbid infection, one infection on top of another, could create a worse scenario for the individual. Now, you might say, well, I don't have any parasites. Well, how do you know? You might say, well, I did a stool test. Well, stool tests are notoriously inaccurate for finding parasites. So that's not an answer. And the thing is also that many parasitic infections are asymptomatic. They seem to not have symptoms or mild symptoms. Now, you might be suffering from heart disease or cancer or hypertension. Maybe it's an autoimmune disease or brain fog or malaise or neuromusculoskeletal problems or diseases, you name the health problem, gut, hormonal, the whole gamut, they could be caused by parasites and those are your symptoms. In other words, the symptoms of a parasitic infection could be the symptoms that you have. Parasites, a lot of people think, uh, affect the bowels. Some parasites affect the bowels and they can also move out of the bowel and swim to other areas and that's known as sequestration. That's just a fancy term for how parasites move around. And we know that this happens. This isn't a holistic idea, it's a scientifically valid idea. So what I wanted to talk about today was the role of parasites, and then also the role of the novel coronavirus or just other viruses in general, and their combined effects upon the body. So I'm gonna start first by Just giving you my contact information, in case you have any questions, and some of you may want to either see me in person or want to work with me over video chat, you can call me at 914-552-1442, or go to my website, which has lots of free content. All the radio shows are under the blog section. There's tons of videos, and you can search basically any topic on any page, especially the main page, and it'll pop up. So uh, that's DrMichaelWald.com and you can email me at info at blooddetective.com. So, parasites are organisms that live off other organisms or hosts, and you would be the host. Uh, and they do that so they can survive. Some parasites don't noticeably affect the host or affect you. They may not create symptoms, like I said. Others, however, will grow, they'll reproduce, they'll invade organ systems uh, that make that will make you sick, and that is a cl- clinical parasitic infection. In other words, when you can see it and you know it's there and you can produce some evidence upon laboratory testing that there's a parasite, then you know you've got a parasitic infection. I should mention too, for those of you not familiar with me, I've written several books, uh, one of which is a bestseller called the, the Anti-Aging Encyclopedia of Testing. And I review parasitic testing and other types of tests. So when I talk to you about these topics, I'm giving you a real qualified answer about these things. Okay, so parasitic infections, they're known to be a huge problem in tropical and subtropical regions of the world. Uh, malaria uh, is one of the deadliest parasitic infections. But parasitic infections also occur in the United States. Uh, in the old days, and even some doctors now that are not up on their their uh, medicine, Uh, when they question a person uh, that seem to have parasitic infections, they'll say, well, have you you gone outside the United States? We have plenty of parasites here. We don't need to go anywhere to get them. I just wanted to be clear on that point. So common parasitic infections uh, found in the United States include four top ones. Trichomoniasis, giardiasis, cryptosporidiosis, and toxoplasmosis. All right, we'll go over those in a moment, but what are the symptoms of parasitic infections that you should know about? So the symptoms of these infections, they vary uh, depending on the, on the organism, depending on the parasite. So for example, uh, trichomoniasis is a sexually transmitted infection, and it's caused by a parasite that will often produce no symptoms. In some cases, it might cause itching, redness, irritation, and an unusual discharge in your genital area. Okay, so that's trichomoniasis. And then there's girodiasis, which may cause diarrhea, uh, gas, gastric stomach, uh, greasy stools, and dehydration. And then there's cryptosporidosis, which may cause stomach cramps, stomach pain, nausea, vomiting, dehydration, weight loss, and fever. And then there's toxoplasmosis which may cause flu-like symptoms. So you might think you have the flu, but it's really a parasite. And there also might be from uh, toxoplasmosis, swollen lymph nodes and muscle aches and pains that can last for over a month. But what causes parasitic infections? Well, parasitic infections can be caused by three types of organisms. There's protozoa, there's helminths, and there's ectoparasites. Now, protozoa are single-celled organisms and they can live and multiply in your body for years. And some of the infections caused by protozoa include giardiasis. So this is a very serious infection uh, that you can contract by just drinking infected water with um, giardia protozoa. And then there's helminths, and they are multi-celled organisms and they can live in or outside the body. The more commonly known as worms. So you've heard about worms, parasitic worms. So we've got flatworms, you've got tapeworms, you've got thorny headed worms, and you have roundworms. And then there's ectoparasites. So they're multicellular organisms that live on or feed off your skin. So they include some insects, uh, such as mosquitoes and fleas, ticks and mites. Okay. Now parasitic infections can spread in a number of ways in the body. So for example, the protozoa and the helminths can spread through contaminated water, food, uh, waste, soil, and blood. Now, some can be passed through sexual contact. Some parasites are spread by insects uh, that act as what's known as a vector or a carrier of the disease. So for example, malaria is caused by parasitic protozoa that are transmitted by a mosquito when they feed on humans. Now, let me just stop here for a second. I'm going to make, I'm going to repeat some of the information that I'm telling you so that it becomes more familiar with you because there's some new words here, some, maybe even some new information, but don't worry. I would suggest that you listen to it and then within a day or two of this show, there'll be a written description of what I'm telling you uh, on my website at drmichaelwall.com right under the blog section so then you can read it as well. So, It's one thing to know about parasites, but who's at risk for parasitic infections? Well, anyone, anyone can get a parasitic infection, but some people are at greater risk than others. So you're more likely to contract a parasitic infection if you fall into one of these five different categories. You have a compromised immune system or are already sick with another illness. And the same folks is true for the novel coronavirus. That's why we have the higher risk people that have cardiovascular disease, diabetes, lung disease, hypertension, autoimmune diseases, for example, just being overweight, smokers. Um, So parasitic infections are similar to viral infections in that if you've got a compromised immune system or you're sick already and you're exposed to the parasite or exposed to the virus, you have a much greater chance of getting it. Make sense? good. The other criteria for who is at risk of parasitic infections are if you live or travel in tropical or subtropical regions of the world, that'll increase your risk most likely. If you lack a clean water supply, if you swim in lakes, rivers, or ponds where giardia or other parasites are common, if you work in childcare, that's a killer right there, uh, if you work with soil regularly, or work uh, in other uh, contexts where you come into contact with feces on a consistent basis. Now, lots of us come into contact with feces, unfortunately, on a consistent basis when you go shopping and get food. Everything that's touched by a human being. Uh, people, Many people do not wash their hands properly after they have bowel movements and, and wipe themselves and they transmit all sorts of organisms onto the food, accounting for lots of illness, what we call foodborne illness. And it's really parasitic. Also, uh, outdoor cats uh, can come in contact with infected rodents and birds. So you can get parasites from your animals. So this makes the owners much more likely to contract uh, toxoplasmosis, which is a type of uh, protozoa. So, Cat scratch fever is what uh, toxoplasmosis is, if you've heard of that. Of course, we know that that's very deadly, not just for pregnant women causing birth defects, but for everyone else who gets it. So toxoplasmosis can be very harmful for pregnant women um, and, and their developing babies. So I just wanna make that point. The infection is spread through cat feces. And if you are pregnant, it's very important that you have someone else clean the litter box daily. And for that matter, for anyone pregnant out there, you wanna avoid people who are obviously sick or who might be sick. And obviously now we're having uh, everyone's following uh, isolation and the other CDC guidelines. And, and that of course is not limited to just uh, pregnant women. So your doctor may order certain tests to check for bacteria and other things that could cause infections as well, because a lot of the symptoms that I mentioned and I'll be talking about, They could be be caused by bacteria, uh, viruses, or parasites. So what does medicine have in their arsenal to uh, to kill uh, parasites? Well, if you have a parasite, your treatment plan will depend on a couple of specific things like your diagnosis. So typically, your doctor will prescribe medications. So for example... Uh, They might prescribe medications to treat uh, trichomoniasis or uh, uh, giardias or uh, cryptosporidosis. And they probably won't prescribe medications for toxoplasmosis if you're not pregnant and uh, otherwise healthy, unless you have a uh, severe and prolonged infection. Your doctor may also recommend other treatments to relieve your symptoms, depending on what those symptoms are. So for example, Many parasitic infections can cause diarrhea, which often leads to dehydration. So your doctor will likely encourage you to drink plenty of fluids to uh, replenish those that you've lost. But it's not just the fluids. They need to be electrolytically rich because it's the electrolytes that you're losing along with fluid uh, through diarrhea, let's say or vomiting, which can cause potassium deficiencies change your acid base balance in your body, uh, cause heart attacks. So anything that affects the gut in a chronic way can cause what I just mentioned. So then how are parasitic infections prevented? So there are several steps you can take to lower your risk of contracting a parasitic infection. One, practice safe sex and use a condom. You wanna wash your hands regularly, especially after handling uncooked food or feces. Why you be handling feces? I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, If you may have children, for example, uh, even when you wipe yourself, so you need to be careful. You want hygienic practices in place. You want to cook food to its recommended internal temperature so you can kill some of these organisms. You want to drink clean water, including bottled water, when you're traveling, if at all possible. Avoid swallowing water from lakes, streams, or ponds, and avoid cat litter and feces when you're pregnant. So obviously, if you suspect that you're having a parasitic infection, you wanna make an appointment with your doctor. They can help diagnose you and uh, figure out the cause of your symptoms, hopefully, and recommend a treatment plan. Now, there are natural treatments for parasitic infections as well. The first thing that I wanna suggest is that if you haven't had chronic diarrhea and if you're not under hydrated, you wanna use buffered, powdered, vitamin C, and you want to use that so that it will cause a flushing of your intestinal tract. The way you do that is you take a half of a teaspoon of vitamin C and you dissolve it in two to three ounces of water. And then you take that every 30 minutes until you have watery diarrhea. The reason you're doing this is you're going to debulk your intestinal tract of parasites. So you may have hundreds of parasites. You may have dozens, you might have just a couple. But either way, if you're sick, those are virulent bugs and they're causing illness. Lots of them will be in the, in the bowel itself. Some will adhere or get stuck to the bowel wall. And if you have leaky gut, which you almost certainly do, some of those parasites bore their way through those leaky, uh, parts of the bowel. They, when when an intestinal tract is healthy, it's very well constructed and it has what's called tight junctions between all of the cells that make up the lining of the intestinal tract. But with leaky gut, the tight junctions are no longer tight. They're weaker, allowing parasites to squeeze their way through, make their way into the bloodstream, go anywhere, or just go through that that tight junction, which is not tight any longer and stay right there and cause inflammation and autoimmune reactions. It's a big mess. So first I use the vitamin C powder to debulk or remove tons of parasites. Just like a surgeon uh, operating on someone with cancer might go in during surgery and remove a lot of the cancer that can be removed so that when they use chemo or radiation, there's simply less to kill. Makes sense, debulking makes sense. Now, once the vitamin C flush is done, your practitioner will help you figure out how much vitamin C you should be taking ongoingly, because it's a precise amount based upon the result of that flush procedure that I just described. And you can't do that procedure with capsules or tablets of vitamin C. It's gotta be with buffered powder Never with powdered ascorbic acid. Now, sometimes powdered ascorbic acid is very good for preventing parasites. Because if you're eating parasites, which is commonly how that happens, how you get the parasites, the most common way. Sometimes they'll bore through your skin. Sometimes they'll bore through your eyes. There's other ways as well. Um, The thing to do is you need to find out what nutrition you're lacking that One either made you susceptible to the parasite in the first place or made the symptoms worse when they could have been milder. So the thing is, if you're exposed to a parasite and it makes its way through your body, it doesn't matter how healthy you are. But depending upon how healthy you are, once you get a parasitic infection, that will determine the outcome of the illness. So whether we're talking about the novel coronavirus or a parasitic infection or a bacterial infection, it's always a combination of the resili- of your resiliency, your health, your innate immune resiliency, your body's ability to control inflammation, so it doesn't go out of whack. So we know that with the novel coronavirus, it has an affinity for the lungs. There are certain proteins in the lungs that the novel coronavirus likes, it goes there. And then it creates a, it supercharges inflammation at the alveolar cells, which are the cells that are the lung sacs. And by doing that, it creates thick lung sacs and a thick membrane within and around the lungs. And those, that thick membrane is, uh, makes it nearly impossible for oxygen to get through. So people whose lungs are infected with the novel coronavirus, uh, who are in a dire Uh, stage of infection uh, will die essentially of suffocation and you can give them respirators but uh, if the respirator it cannot compensate for the lack of transmittability of the oxygen that the respirator is delivering because of the thickness of the lung sacs and on other anatomical parts of the lungs then that's a problem. The thing to do right now everyone is to improve your immunity now, but not just immunity, to improve your overall nutrition that helps your body control inflammation to a normal stage. Because a person who has a better control, who has better control of inflammation, when they're exposed to, again, a parasite or the novel coronavirus, uh, they will get inflammation uh, in their body. uh, And if they should get inflammation in their lungs, it shouldn't be an amount that is insurmountable for the body to manage. So there's some key nutritional elements that you should consider for parasite infections and also for coronavirus type infections. Now, let me say this much to you. Some of you are saying in your little heads <laughs> that, well, you know the nutrition for parasites. Uh, you know, you know the herbs for, to kill parasites. I can tell you that if you're not taking a dozen or more different herbs uh, for your parasitic infection or for prevention, you're wasting your time. For example, I'm holding a parasite formula in my hand that has over 30 different known antiparasitic herbs. And some of them, again, you've heard about, like walnut hull and carrot root. And uh, apple pectin and papaya fruit. I can go on and on. You know, you know what I'm going to say. But if if you have a combination of at least thirty of them, that herbal synergism will make that product very useful. A patient just this morning asked me, "Well, Dr. Wald, I'm taking oregano oil and garlic. Will that kill the coronavirus? Or will that kill the parasite?" Well, if I asked you, everyone, will that kill the coronavirus? You'd of course. You might even laugh out loud, the answer is no. Um, But the same is true for a parasite. It's just not sophisticated enough of a protocol. The larger amount of synergistic herbs that you have together for parasites and viruses, the better off that you will be in terms of um, either killing it or mitigating its severity. Now, before I continue about the nutrition that's antiparasitic and antiviral, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the novel uh, coronavirus. Now, the thing to realize is that we're all in quarantine now. We're supposed to be maintaining a six foot distance, uh, wearing face masks, washing our hands, cleaning surfaces. We're all aware of these things. And that's important. But I have talked to dozens upon dozens of people about the novel coronavirus and they don't seem to understand a very basic fact. And this is that fact, that practically everyone over time, and it was the CDC themselves that said by the end of next year, that practically everyone will be exposed to the coronavirus. And that's that uh, shouldn't be a shocking or unusual thought, really, when you think about it because uh, people get exposed to the measles uh, and, and chickenpox, Virtually everyone out there listening has had those diseases. Uh, very few people escape those diseases during the course of their lives. And when they do, let's say escape it during their younger years, when they get it when they're in their 30s, 40s, and let's say above, it's a much, much more serious condition by and large. But people should expect that they will be Exposed if if you haven't already been to the novel coronavirus virus by the end of next year. So the purpose now, well, at least one of the main purposes of all of the CDC and World Health Organization guidelines is to uh, mitigate the uh, infection rates and death rates and the tremendous strain upon uh, the medical system and the infrastructure of our healthcare system, which is already at the the tipping point and depending on your locality it's beyond that already where they cannot handle the people they do not have enough face masks they cannot treat them they cannot give them a bed Uh, they cannot give them an iv bag so these are real problems a friend of mine who's a doctor spoke with another doctor friend of his who works in the hospital and said that yep we had, uh, this happens all the time, but we had a woman who was, I think she was about 75 years old and she had the coronavirus and she was sick and she had very labored breathing. And uh, they went to the hosp- she went to the hospital and the, the physician on staff said that they cannot give her a respiratory mask because there was a 35 year old with coronavirus that needed it. And that woman died two days later. This isn't a rarity, everyone. Although I don't know if people really think about that much, but doctors have to prioritize resources on an ongoing basis. And I don't think that's ever been more true than now. And that's a big statement too. Ever been more true than now? That there hasn't been other examples this horrific? Well, on a global global perspective, I don't think so. Uh, In individual cases, of course, yes, there've been regions that are overrun more than others with infections and various other illnesses that tax the system. Okay, so I also want to uh, have you take a look at the Coronavirus and Nutrition webinar that is up on my website, on my homepage. I would suggest that you listen to it because it's one of two webinars that I did. When this one first uh, aired, and I presented it to a few hundred different healthcare providers, uh, within 15 minutes of it ending, it, it had, I was told, over 700 hits. The information I presented um, was as accurate as I could make it. And I cut through a lot of the, uh, the nonsense uh, in the news. So hopefully you'll find that useful. So let's talk about more about the nutritional aspects of improving your body's ability to regulate inflammation and also more antiparasitic and antiviral nutrition. Before I do, I just want to give my contact information for those who will want it. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. My website is drmichaelwald.com. And you can send me an email at info at blooddetective.com. And that's about that. Okay, let's move on. The um, the other nutritional uh, support that I'm gonna recommend for people, and most of you uh, listening to this show are aware of products like this, they're superfoods, are those uh, plant powders that are a mixture of different things. They're either green, they might be red in color, they might be purple in color, orange, they could be any color. Okay, they're not all the same, folks. They're not all the same. You wanna purchase products that have a standardized amount of each of the herbs. So for example, you don't wanna have some green powder that has all the good stuff. It'll have uh, bee pollen and citrus bioflavonoids, it have uh, blueberry powder and broccoli powder and cranberry juice powder and bilberry extract and all of these things. But if it doesn't tell you 100 milligrams of citrus bioflavonoids, and it doesn't say 60 milligrams of milk thistle or uh, 50 milligrams of grapeseed extract, then don't buy the product. So you don't want that combination of all the good things, not to be standardized. You want them standardized and you want the, the label to tell you how many milligrams. That means it's standardized. So you know what you're getting. Commonly what you'll see is all of these great ingredients and they'll be listed one after the other with one, one you know, product and then a comma and then the next one and a comma and a comma. And um, then they'll say it's a proprietary blend Those you need to avoid. So, I think I've brought home the fact that we want a standardized product because, for example, when I put together superfoods, so I have detox one, detox two, detox three, detox four powders, okay? And the detox four is this green powder. It's got all the standardized herbs. I determine those numbers, those milligrams based upon what scientific studies said with the right dose in the right combinations with other herbs so you get real effects. This is call, called nutritional synergism, folks. And I'm, I think I've been I'm the only one on, uh, on PRN history that's ever done a show on nutritional synergism. And you can look that up on my website, which again is drmichaelwald.com. But you want these superfoods in standardized form. And all four of them that I make with the corona problem happening now, I put everyone on all four of the products because that'll handle basically the entire body. Uh, Because I formulated each of these products for the, the whole body overall, but I emphasize certain herbs in them and other nutritional compounds to manage, let's say the lymphatic system, maybe more than the lungs and maybe the cardiovascular system in this product, more than the brain. So I would suggest that each and every person out there take either my detox one, two, three, and four products. And you can email me more information about them if you'd like at infoblooddetective.com at or another brand. And if I'm familiar with that brand, I will let you know if you email me for my opinion whether or not it's worth taking. So let's talk about antiviral nutrition. The first this is also antiparasitic, by the way, because vitamin D, that's the, that's the first one I'm gonna talk about, is both anti-inflammatory and it's autoimmune regulating. I could go on all day, and, I, and many of you could as well, about the potential benefits of vitamin D, but like I said on the Corona Nutrition uh, webinar on my homepage, on my website, uh, vitamin D, Receptors are on every single cell in the body, so this is the reason why medicine is so excited about vitamin D. And practically all doctors now know about it. They're still, on a one to ten scale, they need to be at a ten in terms of their expertise and and, and their knowledge about vitamin D. They're more like a three, but that's better than a zero. So what will happen is you get a vitamin D test, and if you're low. You're supposed to take between 50 and 100,000 uh, IUs uh, per week, per week, not per day, for between 8 and 12 weeks. And then your blood work should be tested again, to make sure that your vitamin D level is no lower than a 70. The higher normal vitamin D, the better, well, first of all, the lower your overall morbidity and mortality. So the higher the vitamin D, the, the lower your chances of dying of anything and the higher your quality of life if you correct deficiencies early enough. Although it's never too late to correct a deficiency. But what does this have to do with parasites and uh, the novel coronavirus? Well, vitamin D deficiency is very common in parasitic infections. Parasites suck the nutrition out of a person. uh, I mean, literally. And the coronavirus and other coronaviruses, they increase the stress upon the body which can deplete nutrients from that metabolic stress. But I mentioned that vitamin D has receptors on every cell of the body because the coronavirus can attack every cell of the body and it likes the vitamin D receptor. But it's like two people sitting in the same chair. If vitamin D is sitting in the the receptor chair and then the coronavirus comes along, it cannot sit in the same place. It can sit on top of the vitamin D Filled receptor, but it can't fit in the receptor, which it that's how it causes the damage So you want to make sure that your vitamin D level is as good as it needs to be I suggest liquid forms of vitamin D put under the tongue And at specific amounts, which I have in my coronavirus nutrition kit Now I need to tell you just for disclosure that the nutrition that I'm telling you And specifically in the coronavirus nutrition kit that I designed has not been studied in the novel coronavirus for obvious reasons. No one's had any time to study anything. But this is based, and all the information I'm gonna tell you about this nutrition is based on my review of the medical and nutritional literature over years and a a more recent real look at things in terms of finding out how viruses work. So vitamin D is number one. And then the other really important one that's both antiviral and helps the body recover from parasitic med- medications, is what I call immune multiviral. So in immune multiviral, I combined five specific uh, antiviral and immune-modulating and anti-inflammatory and anti-parasitic nutrients that you, you don't hear as much about. So one, for example, is called arabinogalactin. So arabinogalactin is a potent immune regulator and we need at least 266 milligrams is the dose that I determined is the best when combined with the other nutrients uh, that are antiviral, which I call multiviral. The other one is called DMG. Many of you have heard of DMG. It's been talked about on some of the other radio shows on PRN. So dimethylglycine, extremely important as an antiviral agent and also as an antiparasitic in terms of helping the body repair and helping the body deal with parasitic infections. Then there's olive leaf, that's a common one, and then beta-glucan, and then mitaki, which has to be the PD fraction of the mitaki. It has to be from the, the fruiting body as an extract. And then there are specific ratios of those that I've determined that are the best for antiviral and antiparasitic effects. Additionally, there is N-acetylcysteine. This is one of my favorite nutrients. It always has been. So I want to tell you a few things about it you're going to want to know. So N-acetylcysteine or N-A-C is different than cysteine. It's N-acetylcysteine. So the acetylated form of N-A-C is what you want. So NAC is known as a, what I call a real chelator. It really binds to metals and helps bring them out of the body. That's N-acetylcysteine, as opposed to cysteine, which will bind to a metal and put it in your brain. And that's actually true. Um, so it's a real chelator, unlike, you know, people saying to me, doc, they'll say, Dr. well, what about uh, spirulina as a chelator? Or these, these, are not, these are not real chelators. They're not gonna chelate a serious amount of a, of a toxin. Uh, In fact, they themselves tend to be toxic. For example, spirulina is almost always contaminated with lead. So it takes lead up in the soil and then you eat it. So N-acetylcysteine, you'll find that in a real toxicology book. So in toxicology textbooks, N-acetylcysteine is also known to improve what's called phase two liver detox. So the liver has some say three, maybe even four, different detoxification systems. But for the purpose of this conversation, N-Acetylcysteine will take toxins in the body that are found in uh, fat tissue and convert them into water-soluble toxins so you can excrete them. But relative to parasites and viruses, NAC is very strongly antiviral. It's been studied against Ebola virus and AIDS virus and coronaviruses. It is something you absolutely want to take, but also for other reasons. NAC is a very strong anti-inflammatory. So when the coronavirus affects the body, it just turns up all the inflammatory knobs. It just turns everything up. But NAC helps to mitigate and bring them down and prevent them from going up. I mean, that's the wish and the hope, and that has happened. So nothing's a guarantee here. That's why we need to combine a number of things that make the most sense, that work synergistically, and then you should be much better off. Very important for antiviral uh, effects of the novel coronavirus, we all know that what's so different about it, among other things, is that it has an affinity for the lungs, right? We've heard about this in the news. It's true. And when it creates all that inflammation in the lungs, it creates a lot of mucus secretions. And the body reacts to inflammation by increasing the production of mucus to help to manage the inflammation. But all of that mucus gets in the way and also plugs up the lung sacs, the air sacs, preventing oxygen from freely exchanged exchanging between the blood and into the lungs. But N-Acetylcysteine or NAC, some people call it NAC, is an anti-mucolytic agent. So NAC will break up mucus. Now, if you take it once you get the virus, it's not gonna help you. None of these, nutrition, these nutrients you will. But because viruses are so ubiquitous in our lives and in society and in our exposures, And because parasites are also absolutely ubiquitous, it makes sense to take the right combinations of antiparasitic and antiviral nutrients on a daily basis. I've been doing this for years. I've known probably for a solid 20 years that eventually the number one cause of death will no longer be heart disease and cancer. Mark my words, it will be infectious disease. And in fact, a lot of heart disease and cancer are from infections. But I'm talking about deaths from just obvious infections, not the sort of hidden infections, which can look like any problem that you've ever had could be from an infection. The other thing I'll say about NAC is, it is a very important molecule that helps produce another really important molecule known as glutathione reductase. So you've heard about glutathione, right? So glutathione is a tripeptide. It's made of three amino acids. And one of those amino acids is cysteine. So without enough cysteine, you can't make glutathione. And the longest lived mammals have higher levels of glutathione. And what's amazing is that older studies even have shown that when you take NAC, a single oral dose of about 200 milligrams, within 15 minutes of that dose, your glutathione levels in your lungs increase. And I will bet you that the people who are sick have very low to no measurable glutathione in their lungs so that when they're exposed to the novel coronavirus, they have of course a greater chance of getting sick and and of dying. So in summary there, NAC increases glutathione It's an antiviral, it's an antiparasitic, it's a chelator, it's a mucolytic, and it's really so, so much more. I can do an an entire show on any one of these nutrients, actually. And probably the last thing I'm going to circle around and talk about, well, it won't be the last, but um, is vitamin C. So I mentioned the vitamin C flush test, and everyone wants to do that because the only way to saturate your body and get 100% saturation, which is what you want, you don't want 99%, you certainly want 80%. So almost everyone listening to me now, virtually every one of you are depleted in vitamin C, even if you're taking it. I mean, I do tests on patients. I order tests where I measure vitamin C levels, and then I measure vitamin C use in the body. And people tend to be not only deficient in vitamin C, but they don't use it normally. So then you have to make nutritional corrections and then improve and fix the levels in the body and also the use. So in terms of how much you need, you do the vitamin C flush, you get diarrhea, and that saturated you, your body can't hold anymore. And then how much you need is around uh, two thirds of that dose taken in two to three equally divided doses. Now, once you do that, some people will will continue with the buffered vitamin C, which is buffered with zinc and calcium and magnesium. That's Those are the buffering agents. But some of you out there really need to combine vitamin C with a couple of key ingredients. One is calcium, and it should be at least 121 milligrams per thousand milligrams of vitamin C. And then a citrus bioflavonoid combination at a ratio of about 200 milligrams to a thousand milligrams of vitamin C. It's not just the vitamin C that has all the health benefits. It's the citrus bioflavonoids uh, which come with them in nature. The only problem with nature is you can't eat enough of these vitamin C bioflavonoid rich foods or you can't eat enough red meat to get enough cysteine to make N-acetylcysteine, and you shouldn't in my opinion. You certainly couldn't ever eat enough herbs in the wild to get the 50 different, and I'm not exaggerating, parasitic uh, herbals that you would need to have any real effect on parasites. So that's why when people you know, argue about, well, isn't food more important than nutrients, vitamins, you know, and minerals and things of that nature? In terms of supplements, the answer is no. Uh, The answer is they're both important uh, for the reasons I just named. It isn't any more complicated than that. Now, very important, especially for parasitic infections, but also probably for the novel coronavirus is the level of stomach acid in the body. Now, stomach acid levels in the body need to be just right, not just for digestive purposes, but also for infectious, infective purposes. So for example, if you're over 50, you have a 60% chance of having little or no stomach acid at all. And you're only digesting because food goes through your stomach and then goes to your small intestine. And then your small intestine signals your pancreas to secrete protein, fat, and start digesting enzymes. But the problem is this. If you don't have enough pepsid and hydrochloric acid Uh, in your stomach, when you eat, as I mentioned earlier, parasites or viruses, they're not going to get killed off by the stomach acid. So they will make their way into the body, potentially. That's why it's been said, and I learned this over, over, maybe about 35 years ago now, that the digestive tract, particularly the stomach, is the first line of immune defense. And then I also learned That the small intestine is another important line of immune defense because 70% of our immune system is in the lining of the small intestines. That brings me to the next point, which are probiotics. But let me finish off the stomach acid. So I determine with my patients by doing malabsorptive tests, do they need stomach acid or not? And how much do they need? I cannot tell you folks how many people that I speak to that inquire about working with me and they'll have all of these expensive, colorful tests and digestive stool analysis and organic acid and fatty acid, amino acid tests and saliva hormone tests, waste of money and waste of time. I can tell you why, but trust me for now, they're a waste simply because they're not reproducible. The technologies are weak. And the information that these tests give are almost never acted upon. In other words, when I look at the protocols that some providers give based on these tests, they might as well have not done any testing. They've ignored their own tests. Or you can easily guess what a person needs without doing expensive testing that is, uh, in these cases that I just mentioned, putting the cart before the horse. But what is fundamental is do you absorb? I mean, how can you fix anything? I don't care what it is. I don't care what your health problem is, unless you know about that. So when I ask my patients, have you had absorptive tests? Did you have an absorption test? I'm like, what is that? Maybe I did, I don't know. I'm like, well, if you did, you should know because your doctor should have reviewed it with you. So you haven't had one almost certainly, and that is a mistake. Again, this is blood detective common sense here, right? But those of you listening to the show know that I'm trying to create blood detective followers here in the sense that this information makes sense to you. In other words, if I say to you that you first need to absorb, that should be self-evident as, yeah, of course. Just as if I say to you, you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb but your whole life you heard you are elite. And every single person for a time, and even now still, swallows that up and doesn't even think about it because most people don't think. It doesn't have to do with their intelligence. People are generally smart, but it's how you apply intelligence and what you're focusing on, and if you're focusing. So we want to do tests of vitamin C levels. We want to do tests of vitamin C use. We might even want to do tests of how quickly your Your antiviral lymphocytes are moving, okay? Uh, And you can't figure that out by looking at a test that tells you how many lymphocytes you have. So on a blood test, your doctor says, your lymphocytes are fine, but if they're not working, which you can't tell based on a regular test, then you can get sick. So functional testing is what that's called. We can figure out the function of things. Okay, let's talk about Probiotics for a moment. So, probiotics are important for all kinds of things. We know that. Pretty much everyone knows they're important for the intestinal tract. And if the intestinal tract, the small intestine, contains over 70% of our immune system in the form of the pyres patches that are in the wall of the intestinal tract, then it makes sense that if you do not have the proper combination of probiotics, then that whole environment of the intestinal tube will be um, affected adversely. Inflammation will ensue. Leaky gut will happen. Nutritional deficiencies will happen. Sometimes intestinal problems will happen. But other times, because again, the immune system is by and large in the gut more than anywhere else, any problem anywhere else in the body can ensue. So we want the right combinations of probiotics for the right person for the right problem, take it at the right time. Are they taken with antibiotics or not? Are they, can you, should you take a probiotic with a protein to double its, um, its effects in the intestinal tract? The answer is yes. So these are details we don't have time to review today other than saying that the right probiotic for the right person at the right time can be antiviral, antibacterial, antiparasitic, anti-inflammatory, immune modulating, can lower cholesterol, can lower other inflammatory medias which cause cancer and all kinds of things. And then the right dose, though, the right dose, has to be taken. So what is the right dose? Well, that depends on your lean body mass. What's that? Well, in most of my blood detective shows, or many of them, I've mentioned different tests. And one of them is called the bioimpedance test. And that is a test that measures your percentage of muscle, water, and fat, and your lean body mass, and then the water in and outside of your cells. And then it measures all kinds of other parameters that are some of the most predictive tests of morbidity and mortality. And the, the right biomarker technology can even tell you if what you're doing is truly helping your lifespan. There's something called phase angle that's measured on the type of bio bioimpedance test that I do, that's that important. If you wanna know more about the phase angle, I did a show all about it, which you can find on my website at drmichaelwall.com. But the bioimpedance test is so critical because based on the, the, the information derived from it, it helps me determine the dosing of supplements for people. It'll tell me the right protein balance for people, the right healthy fats and carbs, and those in turn give me indirect information about how much of what sort of nutrient, uh, you should take and in what dosing. Lots of people that I see take the right things, particularly if they're educated on, you know, PRN, for example, but I often find that what's missing sometimes, uh, oftentimes, I'd say, I'd say 95% of the time is the dosing. Okay, a couple last comments before the end. Now, if you've been sick from any reason, you don't know if it's parasites, you know it's viral, but you're beat up. You know your, your, your muscle tone is bad, your energy is not great, your mental functioning not where you want it to be, your energy not where you want it to be, your overall appearance is getting older, uh, you're aging too fast. And that could be from a lifetime of exposure to parasitic and other uh, infective agents you might wanna think about, and these, these two suggestions may or may not be appropriate for you if you have cancer in your personal history, is the use of uh, two hormones, DHEA, which is um, dihydroepiandosterone. That is the major hormone of the adrenal glands. When a person gets sick by virus or parasite, what have you, or any other cause, the adrenal glands get stressed out And if the stress is chronic, then the body starts to break down and it can't build itself up. So the breakdown exceeds the building up. If you take DHEA, it's an anabolic steroid that will increase the anabolism or building up of the body It's called anabolism, and it will reduce the catabolism. And that's exactly what you want in any true anti-aging protocol. So DHEA um, levels tank uh, by when you're starting around age 30, but in some people a lot sooner to more or less of of a degree. So I will generally start people on about 25 milligrams of DHEA only in the morning. And then I give them higher and higher amounts depending on my workup of them and how they're doing and testing and all of that. Another very important anabolic or anti-catabolic hormone is known as pregnenolone. So pregnenolone is super important. I also give it in the morning and I'll generally start with about 10 milligrams of pregnenolone and then increase the doses as needed over time. As I examine the bioimpedance test to show is the DHEA and the pregnenolone are they both synergistically building up the body as opposed to breaking it down? How would I know that? Easy. The lean body mass will increase on the bioimpedance test. So that's how you will know it there. The other strategy for building up immunity and helping to control inflammation better, whether we're talking about parasites or viruses, is the use of protein. Now, sometimes proteins can be balanced well in the diet. I would say if I had to choose any one category of protein for people, uh, it would probably be plant-based protein in almost every case, but not every case. There's lots of reasons why we wouldn't want to use plant proteins, but that might, again, be a subject for another another show. Um, and then there's whey protein, which is available in as a powder in uh, supplements. And then of course, there's the proteins that are animal-based proteins, uh, which whey protein is, but also fish, chicken, and meat. I don't generally recommend meat for almost anyone, unless they have an eating disorder. You want those individuals to eat anything they can. And by setting restrictions on them, you make their condition worse, and you're just gonna help bury them, basically. Um, Fish and chicken, of course, you know, you can buy the best forms of them, you know, either organic and farm-raised and all this, that, and the other thing. But, um, you know, animal products sometimes are not super friendly to the body. Fish has lots of healthy proteins and omega-3s, but also generally contains um, arsenic and mercury. So if you're taking B12, which I have not mentioned yet, and you're taking N-acetylcysteine, on a weekly basis, you probably can handle fish twice a week, no problem. And then if, uh, the thing about red meat is, red meat has the highest levels of arachidonic acid, which is an inflammatory acid, which, which triggers inflammation in the body and would make a person more susceptible when exposed to a parasite or a virus, to generally have a worse outcome. So generally, Plant-based eaters tend to, have, tend to have better reactions to illness and infections in my 30 years of experience, but not always. Sometimes plant-based eaters, like vegetarians or vegans, they, they make some mistakes in terms of their nutritional needs uh, and they're not aware of them. So I do testing on them and I find all these problems. And you've heard of the common ones in vegans and vegetarians, uh, B12 and iron and protein, for example, but there are many more. So it's important that when you take on any way of eating, that you get some counseling in how to do it properly. Otherwise, you could be hurting yourself uh, more than you're helping yourself. But proteins are needed because a good deal of the body is protein. Um, many immune molecules like immunoglobins. They're literally, they literally are proteins, but you can't absorb proteins unless you have normal stomach acid. So in summary here, there is, there are a lot of considerations, but I'm hoping that this conversation, uh, has created a a greater awareness of how a holistic approach, a truly holistic approach needs to be happening in the body for the prevention of illness not just a knee-jerk reaction. You think you have a parasite, take these five herbs, uh, things of that nature. Now, sometimes that is the appropriate thing to do, but it almost never is the right answer. It almost never gets the job done or even fixes the reason why the person had the, uh, this, this uh, major parasite or, or disease or infection in the first place where it could have been mitigated with proper nutrition. Okay, so, and in terms of testing, I would suggest that you listen to uh, my, lab, my top 10 laboratory tests, a radio show, which you can also find on my website at uh, drmichaelwall.com. Again, if you wanna work with me at a distance over a Zoom conference, for example, or FaceTime, or just phone, you can call me at 914-552-1442, or you can email me at info at blooddetective.com. I wanna thank every one of you for joining me today. You could have been doing a lot of other things. I want to wish you well and be safe. Come out, Virginia. Don't